It is good to see you. And uh, hey, uh, those of you who are worshiping with us, joining us right now from our uh, other campuses, uh, East Paris, Kentwood, Knapp Street, and those of you who uh, join us uh, online, I'm so pleased we get to jump into part two of this four-part series, which takes us up to Labor Day. And it's a series simply called The Church. So as we launch this conversation today, let's just recognize something together that our fine city, Grand Rapids, Michigan, is a city of churches. Now, maybe you don't uh, notice them like a newcomer would, but people who move to the Grand Rapids area or visit the Grand, Grand Rapids area often go, like, dude, there's like a church on every corner. And it feels like that sometimes. You know how many churches? You know how many churches we have in Grand Rapids? This is how many churches we have in Grand Rapids. We have more churches than microbreweries. <laughs> and for Grand Rapids, that's saying something. It's like they're everywhere. And so if you have a new job or if you move into a new neighborhood or into a new like apartment complex, and if you start uh, meeting people and if you make religious sounding noises, it's only a matter of time when people will say, someone will say, hey, what church do you go to? What church do you go to? And your answer would be, well, I go to, if you're a church-going type, I go, to, I go to First Baptist, I go to Third Reformed, I go to St. Michael's, whatever it is. What church do you go to? I go to. Now, in this conversation on the church today, this is what I want us to think about. What if, when we think about church, it's not so much about this, and it's more about this? Hey, Jeff, why would the church resemble a middle-aged woman stretching? No, a body. A physical, a physical body is one of the strongest and most dominant images for what a church body is. A single one body with many parts. Just as I have one body, but there's fingers and toes and eyes and ears and nose. So a spiritual body, a church, one body many parts. So in this, in this series on the church, we're looking at the rich imagery from the scriptures on what a church is and how a church is to behave. Last week, we looked at church as family. This week, church as body. Next week, uh, Pastor Aaron Buer talks about church as a bride, this rich imagery of the church. So today, church as body. So uh, uh, 1 Corinthians in our Bible, chapter 12, verse 27, we find these words, uh, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it, part of that body. You, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Can we do something uh, here at Cascade at our campuses as well? Can we read this out loud together? Ready? Now, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it, the church as body. Now, it's, uh, it's 1 Corinthians and uh, the people that received this letter, 1 Corinthians, they lived uh, right here in the city of Corinth, which today is like in southern Greece. Now, what, what put Corinth on the map is that there's northern Greece and then there's southern Greece, kind of a peninsula. It's called the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And Corinth dominated that tiny slender land bridge between north and south, which meant that if you had goods, cargo to ship on land from northern Greece to southern Greece, you had to go through or right by Corinth, which made Corinth kind of like this massive trade center. In addition to that, there was a harbor on each side, so you have boats coming in on both sides and then goods passing north and south. So Corinth was the dominant trade center in that side of the Aegean 
uh, in the first century. Now, if you, if you travel to Corinth today, you'd see something like this. Those are the remaining columns of the Temple of Apollo built over 2,000 years ago. But basically, you just, see, you just see ruins. But back in the day, Corinth may have looked something, something like this. This is an artist's rendition based on historical evidence and archaeological evidence. A thriving, a thriving city. Corinth was an international city. Because of the trade back and forth, up and down, it was the kind of city you could walk down the street, and if you were listening, you could probably detect half a dozen different languages spoken within a couple hundred yards. You would hear uh, Greek, you would hear Latin, you might hear some Hebrew, you might hear Egyptian. It was an international city, and the Apostle Paul spends uh, like 51 AD, spends like a year and a half of his life establishing a Jesus community there in Corinth. A year and a half, and then he leaves. The next place we find him is Ephesus, across the Aegean Sea, where he spends three years. While he's in Ephesus, he hears about some pretty major disruption in the church family in Corinth, and a lot of 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, is corrective. It's designed to try to get them back on track. And one of the conversations he has to have with them is how a church should be functioning as a body. So as we dive into this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I honestly believe this is one of the most important conversations that the body of Ada Bible Church could have. And to begin with, just those two images again, my friends, there is a massive difference between going to church and belonging to a body. There is a colossal difference between a church that you go to and a body that you belong to. And as we talk about that today, we're going to explore from 1 Corinthians 12 what some of the threats are to a church behaving as a body. That is, just as a disease can threaten a physical body, there are threats on a spiritual body, the church. We're going to talk about what a couple of those threats are. At the very end, I'm going to give you an assignment, which for those of you that latch onto the assignment and attempt to practice the assignment, I believe be a pretty, can be a pretty powerful experience. So uh, our tack today is we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at three parts and then this assignment at the end. So kind of part one, part two, part three, and then the assignment on this church as a body because there is, there is a radical difference between going to church and belonging to a body, and I want so much for those of you who are in any way attached to Ada Bible Church to attach yourself to, it's a body to belong to, not just a church to go to. So uh, part one of our conversation, we're just calling spiritual gifts. It's just gonna be an overview of something called spiritual gifts, which uh, is a major focus of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, you would find these words. It said, now, just as, a, just as a body, physical human body, though one body has many parts, uh, fingers, toes, eyes, ears, mouth, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's drawing an analogy between a congregation and a physical body. And he says, so look, just as a physical body is one body, but it's got a whole bunch of parts, so it is with the body of Christ, the church. And so uh, just an expression here, two expressions, is just one body, many parts. 
One body, many parts. Can you say that with me? Ready? One body, many parts. But when, when he says that just as a body has one, just as a one body, many parts, with that many parts thing, what he's talking about is something called a spiritual gift. Now, a spiritual gift is not buying a Bible for your nephew on his birthday. I got him a spiritual gift. Or purchasing a poster at a Christian bookstore that has a Bible verse on it and giving it to somebody. I got them a spiritual gift. No, no. What a spiritual gift is, it's like a supernatural endowment. And at least one of these is given to each and every believer in a church family. It's given by the Holy Spirit of God, a supernatural ability, capability, for the purpose, this is critical, of encouraging, comforting, or challenging, or guiding, or growing other parts of the body. Spiritual gifts is one of the ways that our gracious Heavenly Father cares for us and leads us and guides us and helps us and heals us and comforts us is through the work of each other, through the various spiritual gifts. And so when I say, you know, there's all these different spiritual gifts and every believer is given at least one of them, some of you are going like, well, what are some of them? I'm so glad you asked. I have a list. This list I compiled from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also a corollary passage in Romans chapter 12. So the believers in Rome got a very similar teaching as the believers in Corinth. And so I've kind of compiled these lists. This list is not thorough, but gives you kind of a sampling of what some of these spiritual gifts are. Are you ready? Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, speaking in tongues, interpretation of someone who's speaking in tongues, helping, administration, evangelism, and hospitality. And I take about five or ten minutes to describe each one of those. No, I just want you to get, I just want you to give you a basic sense of the variety here. So when the Apostle Paul says, listen, you're one body but many parts, Different people are supernaturally gifted to bring different things for the encouraging, for the comforting, for the challenging, for the growing, and the guiding of other believers within the body. These are a sampling of some of those supernatural abilities that God gives. So let me describe for you a normal Wednesday in the body of Ada Bible Church. Dude stops by a mire to pick up some things before he runs to work. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. Picks up the thing, and he's pushing a cart into that cart corral. And he looks up, and he goes, hey, Tom. And there, climbing into his truck, is a guy by the name of Tom. And they were in a kind of short-lived men's group several years back. But they know each other. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing? And for some reason, Tom actually tells him how it's going. And it's not going well. And he just begins to articulate two or three major deals that he is having to deal with at that point in his life. And quite frankly, it's just, it feels kind of oppressive and it just feels kind of crushing. And when Tom's done, he says, man, sorry to burden you with all that. Hey, man, maybe you can shoot up a prayer for us later. And the guy says, yeah. He says, hey, hang on a second. He kind of looks around the parking lot a little bit. Not many people are there. He says, uh, this might feel weird, but can I pray for you right now? And he prays for Tom right there between the cart corral and Tom's truck. And it's like 30 seconds. 
and it's in a normal voice. It's like, dear Lord, I just pray that Tom would know how much you love him. Gracious God, just give Tom an overpowering sense of your peace and of your presence. I want to pray that today, as Tom moves into his world, that uh, you give him kindness and that you give him patience, even if he doesn't feel kind, and even if he doesn't feel patient. Just remind him that you've got him. Amen. Looks up, and Tom's wiping a tear out of his eye. And in that moment, by the cart corral, it felt like God was present. Because God was present. Right there in a Meyer parking lot between a pickup and a cart corral. Because of the body. Because God has placed us as parts of the body in each other's lives to encourage and to comfort and to challenge and to grow and to guide. One body, many parts. It's the way God designed the body to work. That's 7 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday. 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, someone in a church office is going through the mail, rifling through the mail. Oh, that's nice. That's a thank you note. It's handwritten. Uh, funeral last week. Uh, our more sincere thanks for the way you help strangers feel like family. It's one of the best descriptions of hospitality I've ever seen, helping strangers feel like family. Please especially pass on our gratitude toward, and there's like three names there. They just made everyone feel at home, and we felt God's comfort in our loss. We felt God's comfort in our loss. We felt God's comfort in our loss. Because the love of Jesus got mediated through the love of other believers in the body. This is how our gracious Heavenly Father designed a plan so that we'd stay encouraged and comforted and guided and challenged. It's a, it should be a normal Wednesday. 7 o'clock in the morning, Meyer parking lot. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a thank you note comes into a church office. 7 o'clock at night, there's an 8th grader sitting at youth group meeting. We happen to call our youth group Lifeline. And the teacher, the gifted teacher of the teaching that week, is telling a well-known story from the Bible. It's the story of the Good Samaritan about a guy that stops and he helps somebody he doesn't know. And he went out of his way to help him. And just this idea of going out of your way, going out of your way to show kindness. Eighth grade girl is sitting there listening to the teaching and someone pops into her mind. It's the first week of school. Someone pops into her mind. It's a new girl at school, looks a little lost and a little alone. And like her, she doesn't even know her name. Her face comes into her mind. Going out of your way to show kindness to someone and... Then uh, the teaching's over, and you sit down in your small group, and there's a little circle of eighth graders. And the small group leader, the gifted small group leader, says, by the way, when they're talking about going out of your way to help someone, did anyone occur to you, or did any face pop into your mind? And the girl goes, oh, yes, this girl at school is new. It's one of the first times in her life she felt God prompt her to move toward a specific situation. And it's like God spoke to her. No, God didn't speak to her. The teacher did, and the small group leader did. No, no, no. God spoke through 
the gifted teacher and the small group leader to give guidance and to give growth. One body, many parts. There should be a moment in us right now, I don't know what to call it other than a moment of worship, where we should just kind of want to love God more because of the way he loves us. in providing for us through the various gifts of the body the way that he has. This is what he has constructed. A beautiful one body, many parts for the encouragement, the healing, the comfort, the guidance, and the growth of his kids. God cares for you very much to use the Holy Spirit to put this in place. What could possibly go wrong? One of the things that can possibly go wrong is for a person who feels very common and very ordinary just to kind of say, I don't matter. I don't matter in the body. Did you see that list that was there? That, that list I showed you before of all those different gifts of the body? I mean, one of them was the gifts of healing. What if people are supernaturally gifted to pray over people and some of those people actually get well? Wonderful, the gift of healing. Over here is the gift of helping. Thanks. Any difference that you see between the gift of healing and the gift of healing? Okay, uh, you go raise the dead or something like that. I'll go make coffee. <laughs> Wonderful. God gives out spiritual gifts. You seem to have gotten a pearl necklace. I got a $10 Starbucks gift card. This, my friends, is one of the threats to a body working, and it has to do with overcoming inferiority. This is part two, overcoming inferiority. Inferiority is that little voice in a church culture where you kind of go, you matter, I don't. You matter, I don't. This is one of the threats to a body functioning as it should, is a sense of inferiority. I feel so common, I feel so ordinary, you matter, I don't. So check out how Paul deals with this, using the body imagery. And the way that Paul talks about this, well, he talks about the talking foot. Are you ready for the talking foot? Here we go. Uh, verse 15. Uh, now, if the foot should say, yeah, I told you, the talking foot. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. The foot goes, I can't catch anything. I can't throw anything. I can't hand anything. I'm just a foot. I'm just a foot. I'm not a hand. I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So here's the foot going like, I'm just a foot. You matter. I don't matter. And he goes on to the talking ear. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, uh, stop being part of the body. And so what Paul is dealing with here is this sense of inferiority where someone says, I'm just an ear, I'm just a foot. I, I wish I were a hand, I wish I were an eye. Uh, I I'm, I'm not. You matter, I don't. Uh, now, if you're kind of around the fringes of a church, just kind of like wander in, attend a service every once in a while, you, you might not detect this as rapidly. But if you get like involved in body life of a church uh, by, by serving somewhere significantly or in a small group or leadership, you're gonna discover something. You're gonna discover pretty quickly that some people seem to have extraordinary gifts. Some people seem, there's some people, they pray while they're praying, it feels like you are pulled into the very presence of God. And after listening to that person pray, what goes through your mind is, I am never going to pray with them in the room. 
Because whatever you think it sounds like when you pray, you're pretty sure that people don't feel pulled into the presence of God. And there's this tendency in this moment to go, you matter, I don't, I'm just a foot. <laughs> you will discover people sooner or later who have an incredible ease in having a Jesus conversation with somebody. I'm just sitting there in a normal conversation, and for some reason or other, the other person says, you know, well, I was baptized Episcopalian. You go, and the person goes, you know, I was baptized early as a church, but really, I didn't really meet Jesus until I was 25. Pause. Meet Jesus? Yeah, it was a few years after college. And they're having this conversation as if it's normal, as if they're just ordering something off the menu at Olive Garden. And you, whenever you try to have a Jesus conversation with someone, something feels kind of forced and awkward. And you go, now that person has an extraordinary gift. And there's a, there's a propensity to go, you matter, I don't. I'm just a foot. Hang out with church ministry for long enough. You will detect some individuals who can walk toward chaos and confusion and grief. And they seem to know exactly what to say at exactly the right time. And you, it's not like you don't want to help. You want to help. But when you walk toward someone who's dismantled and disrupted and grieving, you fumble for the right thing to say. And sometimes you walk away and go, dumb, dumb, dumb. Why did I say that? And other people seem so remarkably, extraordinarily gifted in providing the right word at the right time. And there's this tendency to go, I'm just a foot, I'm just a foot. It's a problem of inferiority. And this is a threat to the body working. Whenever you go, they matter, I don't. Here's the reality. A body needs feet. <laughs> and a body needs ears. When the foot says, well, I'm not a hand, I don't matter. When the ear says, I'm not an eye, I don't matter. The body needs feet. The body needs ear. I mean, can you imagine a body that is nothing but a big, huge eyeball on legs running around? Any deficiencies with that? I mean, have you ever seen a big eyeball on legs running around? Have you? You haven't? Have you never been to a West Michigan Whitecaps game? Here they are, <laughs> racing in from the outfield, big inflatable eyeballs on little legs. Any liabilities in a body built that way? Namely, they're not going to hear very well if they're all eyeball. Now, we think this is funny. I believe that what Paul is doing here, some of it is incredibly humorous because this is exactly where he goes next, where he says, if the whole body were an eye, apparently he had been to a Whitecaps game, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? What he's saying here is, Everybody matters and everybody needed. I need my little toe. I need my pinkies to pick things up. Every part matters. Everybody matters, everybody counts. That's what Paul's trying to instill here. And inferiority can cripple this. You matter, I don't. And in fact, he drops something in verse 18 that I think is so profound and so powerful and so meaningful. He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just where he wanted them to be. 
something should hit you there on a deep level, that God, in his care for his kids, put every part of the body exactly where he wanted it to be. If you've been connected to Ada Bible Church for 24 years, or if you've been connected to Ada Bible Church for two weekends, I just need you to kind of whisper to yourself, he put me here for a reason. This has to do with how God brings people together. He put me here for a reason. He put me here for a reason. Can you whisper that with me? He put me here for a reason. Sermon to the ordinary. So many of us feel so ordinary. I mean, we might crush it in business or in a trade or academically, but we get into a church environment and go, I just feel kind of ordinary. Sermon to the ordinary. Be faithful with the ordinary. And trust God to do the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. Be faithful with the ordinary. And trust God to do extraordinary things in the midst of the ordinary where you just go, wow, God orchestrated that. Threat number one, inferiority. Any, any, uh, any guesses on what the next threat might be? If the first threat is inferiority, any guesses what the second threat might be? Superiority. It's part three of our conversation, overcoming superiority. Uh, if inferiority is going, you matter, I don't. <laughs> superiority is going, I matter, you don't. And apparently that spirit was running rampant in the Jesus community in Corinth. I matter, you don't. I believe it's one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul is writing this teaching on gifts was to get them to value other people and other gifts. Check this out, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, and I don't need you. Inferiority is saying, you matter, I don't. Superiority is going, I matter, you don't. I don't need you. I don't need you, I don't need you, and I don't need you. This seems to me to be a major threat to the church of Corinth. Something, something about the city of Corinth, if we can go back to that artist's rendition. Um, Corinth was a new city. Because it was on that land bridge separating northern Greece from southern Greece, any war that swept through that area, Corinth would get caught up in. And when the Romans... When the Roman army swept through, rather than attempting to get terms of peace with the Roman army, the Corinthians decided to fight the Roman army, and they got annihilated, and the city of Corinth got burned to the ground, 146 B.C. Romans were so upset over what had happened that the Roman government said, no one is allowed to rebuild on this spot, and it was a pit, a hole, a dive, a ruin for 100 years. Thou shalt not rebuild, and all the old money went away. 46 BC, Julius Caesar signs an edict that Corinth can now be rebuilt, and there's this influx of money, and there's this influx of business interest. In the first century, particularly during the reigns of Tiberius and Claudius, there was a building boom in Corinth. 
and they had different technology then than now, but if this were today, it's one of those cities that you would look over and you would try to count the cranes because of all of the building programs going on simultaneously. Everything in Corinth was new. It was the land of opportunity. Listen, my friends, if you were a nobody and you wanted to become a somebody, Corinth was a good place to move to. And because of this and other factors, Corinth became a city of status seekers. And personal status was uh, identified by a number of different things. Uh, status, number one, because of what city you were born in. If you were born in Rome or you were born in Alexandria, Egypt, much more important person than if you were born in the sticks somewhere. So it was a city of, of origin. Secondly, it was your family. If you came from an important, an important family, much more important status than if, than if you didn't know who your parents were. So it's city of origin and it's family. And thirdly, it was accumulation of wealth. What kind of wealth did you amass? And these things that form status were just a way of saying, I'm somebody and you're nobody. I'm up here and you're down here. Corinth was so big about who's in, who's out, who counts, who doesn't, and who matters, and who doesn't. And by the way, in choosing your friend group, you never select friends from a lower status. It's always equal or up. And so when you go to a party or you give a party, you're inviting your equals or those above you with the hope of climbing the ladder. You wouldn't associate or identify with people lower because that can lower your status. Who's in? Who's out? Who matters? Who doesn't? Who counts? Who doesn't? Welcome to status-seeking Corinth. And the spirit of Corinth and the culture of status-seeking Corinth had wormed its way right into the Jesus community of Corinth. And the problem is this, back to that list of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts had just become one more indicator of who matters and who doesn't. Oh, I've been the gift of speaking in tongues. You haven't been given that gift. I pray for people and they're healed. When you pray, nothing happens. The tragedy of Corinth is that the very gifts that God gave for the purpose of building the body, encouraging the body, and comforting the body through humble servanthood had become one more tool for saying, I matter and you don't. And it was tragic. What made it most tragic was that in a church body, in a church family, literally in the first century, there was nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it in the world. You're walking down a street in Corinth and you pass a gathering and you stop and you go back and you look into the courtyard and you do a double take and it makes no sense to you. Because this courtyard that you look into, which happens to be a Jesus gathering, though you don't know that yet, there's someone who owns an estate and they're eating with a household servant in another estate. And economic differences, they don't matter in that community. You look into that room and you see something you never see. There are Jewish people dining at the same table with Greeks and dining at the same table with Egyptians and you go, What's up with that? You see highly educated people dining with the illiterate. All around the same tables. 
Because what brought a Jesus community together wasn't economics, and it wasn't education, and it wasn't nationality. What brought a Jesus community together was two things. These were all people who saw themselves as radically lost. And through the cross of Christ, they got radically forgiven. That's the common denominator in that room. Radically lost radically forgiven, and so as the person walks by and they come back and they look in that room, there was literally nothing like it in the world. And this deal about I matter, you don't, was destroying this. Now, (laughs) this, I don't need you. I don't need you not only threatened the church of Corinth, it also threatens the body of Ada Bible Church. It really does. I don't need you. I matter you don't. It not only threatened them, it threatens us. Personally, I don't think our greatest threat is economic differences. Seriously, any given week, you can get someone entry-level job at a company. Say, where are you in this company? Yeah, just started this company. Ground floor, man. Ground floor. Entry-level job. They might be four rows away from a vice president in that same company or the CEO, someone who owns the company or runs the company. I don't think that's our biggest threat, economic differences. I don't think our biggest threats are educational differences. We've got people with advanced degrees and other people say, baby, I skipped the whole college thing. I went to work, man. I went to work. I don't think our greatest threat is academic differences. I don't think it's career differences. I think that the greatest threat to Ada Bible Church to say, I matter and you don't, I'm somebody and you're nobody, is not salary and it's not academics. I think it's our opinions. This is what I think. This is what you think. I'm right You're wrong. I matter. You don't. I don't need you. Well, Jeff, opinions about what? Take your pick. Last three years? Last three years, my friends? Take your pick. As uncomfortable as it might be, if I could rewind the tape, masks, are they helpful or not? Any disagreements in your families, biological families, on the mask question? Oh, wonderful. We seem to have resolved that. To vax or not to vax? That is the question. I surveyed this room, I would discover some radically different opinions on our former president, Donald Trump, and on our current president, Joseph Biden. Radically different opinions. And when you run into somebody who has a radically different opinion, something that searches, surges naturally is not just, huh, you have a different opinion than me, but I'm right, you're an idiot. That's what surges in our spirits. I'm right, you're wrong, and it's another way of saying, you don't matter. I don't, you have that opinion, I can't, for the life of me, I don't understand that perspective, and I don't understand that, I don't need you. And my friends, this is what is at the basis of the cancel culture. We erase people. I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you, I matter, you don't. Now, I'm not asking you to be unopinionated. Hold your opinion. But hold your opinion in a way that it doesn't erase the other person. (laughs) Hold your opinion in a way that says, you know, for the life of me, I can't see ever agreeing with the way you think, but I value you and you matter. 
I value you and you matter. Jeff, that's not the way it's working out there. I know, but that's the way it's supposed to work in here. Just as the status culture of Corinth had found its way into the Corinthian church, the polarization of America is finding its way into the American church. I matter, you don't, who counts, who doesn't, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you, over our opinions. My friends, this is a huge growth opportunity for us to learn the rare skill of disagreeing with another human being, to disagree with them vehemently, and yet with our tone and with our gestures and with our expressions to treat them as if we value them and to treat them as if they matter. Is it just me or is this a huge growth area for our culture right now? So here's a question for you. Okay, preacher boy. What if you do, if in your heart of hearts you feel like they don't matter? How do I just decide that someone matters? What if I don't value them? Did you pretend like you value them? What if you do if, honestly, there are people who are part of the same local church body as you, and you don't value them, and you think they don't matter, what do you do then? I have something for you. Your assignment. The two major passages on spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which we've been digging into, and Romans 12. And in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul encouraged, coached believers in Rome to do this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Can you read that with me? Ready? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And what he's going to do right after that is talk about the different gifts in the body and how those different gifts should be values. I believe that when Paul wrote, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Weep, he was writing a remedy. He was encouraging a remedy to a problem. The problem of, you don't matter, I don't value you. It says, Paul says, okay, if that's the case, two things. Share joy and share grief. Share joy and share grief for someone that's not part of your group. Share joy and share grief when you cross your arms and go, for the life of me. I will never know how they come up with that. For the life of me, their position on that baffles me. Share joy and share grief for that person that you don't value and that feels like they don't matter because of what they're thinking or how they're thinking. By share joy, I mean this. They have a new baby. Share joy. Hey, we heard your new grandparent. We are so happy for you. It's shared joy. I heard you got engaged. I'm so happy for you. It's shared joy. Oh, man, I heard you're going to get remarried. We're so happy for you. It's shared joy. Oh, you had surgery, knee surgery. It was successful. Man, I'm so happy for you. You got a promotion. You got a... I'm so happy for you. It's shared joy. Shared joy for someone you don't like is a powerful remedy to you don't matter, you don't count, I don't need you. 
because sharing in their joy trains the channels of the heart to go, you matter. You matter. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What was the flip side of that? And what was the other one? Weep with those who weep. This is shared grief. Dude, I heard your company like canceled your whole department and you're looking right now. Man, I, I feel for you, man. It's shared grief. Knee surgery. Didn't you just have knee surgery? Yeah, this is number four. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I heard the engagement was broken off and that you weren't the one that did the breaking. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. This is driving on a Tuesday afternoon to a funeral home to stand in line to spend those couple minutes to say, we heard you lost your mom, we heard you lost your dad. Sorry, man. And this is a person, I'm telling you, if you weren't in the Jesus family together, you would never hang out with this person under any other circumstances. You say, you know, you know so this, dude, they don't matter to me. Uh, I, I don't need them. No, no, no. That's why you drive to the funeral home for them. Shared joy and shared grief. Rejoicing with people who are rejoicing and weeping with people who are weeping, particularly when they think differently, trains the channels of the heart to move from I don't need you to you matter to me. You matter to me. Your opinion is different than mine. You think different. Your thoughts baffle me. I could never arrive at your opinion, but you matter to me. Because when you have one body, many parts, everybody matters and everybody's needed. Your assignment is to find someone within your church world. You just don't get them. Share in their joy, share in their grief, and see if your heart doesn't begin to warm a bit and move a bit and budge a bit away from I don't need you and toward you matter. So where do you go to church? <laughs> Grand Rapids, uh, city of churches. Hey, where do you go to church? I go to, I go to, I go to. My friends, there is a huge difference between going to church and belonging to a body. And all we've been trying to do today is encourage you to understand the way that our brilliant Lord designed his kids to function as a body, one body, many parts, one body, many parts. And I, I challenge you, I challenge you to shift your thinking from church as a place to go to a body needs you and you need others. Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and at our campuses as well. I get to ask God's favor and blessing as we move into our weeks. 
Gracious God, once again, we come and we ask. We ask, please mold us and shape us. Uh, do a heart transplant. Give us your heart. Give us your mind. May we be your hands and feet and eyes and ears this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus who came for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.